Hello and welcome to Prague Notes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to Lateralis by Tool. Uh, if you have never listened to our show, what we do here is educate and hopefully inspire our listeners to uncover and learn about this subgenre by listening and talking about albums from the Progressive Rock archives so that you may have, well, maybe you've never heard of them before or want to learn more about them. And so we have a big passion for Progressive Rock and we love to share it with others. And for everyone who has been listening to our all of our episodes, we first want to say thank you. And if you could please subscribe to our podcast, that would be excellent so you can always be notified when we launch a new episode. So today, like we said, we're listening to the first American band that's on the show, Drew. Is it um, the first one? Yeah, this is the first American band that we've had on the show. Oh, wow. Um, every Everybody else has been, see, Russia's Canadian. Everybody else has been uh, British. English. Yeah. English, yeah, been English. So, But before we get into the episode here, I want to give a couple of shout-outs here. Um, we've been uh, we've been getting some emails uh, from some people who's been listening to our episodes, and I just want to give a, a, a friendly shout-out to some of these people. Uh, we really appreciate you reaching out to us for one and uh, we love hearing feedback as well as their thoughts on the episode and the music. And so, uh, the want to give a want to give a big shout out here to Hockessonhockey uh, at gmail.com. Uh, been listening to some of our stuff, and in fact, found out that he had an album by us, uh, which from Drew and I's band um, that uh, he's he's already listened to. So it's kind of a weird coincidence there, which is hilarious. But uh, then I also want to give another shout out here. Who actually took um, definitely, or what? What is it? He uh, took advantage of our offer of in the court of the Crimson King on our episode what five? Five, I believe. Yeah, yeah on episode five, we were we were offering the digital version of in the court of the Crimson King by King Crimson, and so a uh, big shout out to Mr. Alban Sundstrom, I believe. Uh, if I pronounce this incorrectly, um, I apologize. But then we also want to give another shout out to Nancy Bueller as well. She's been listening to some of our episodes and given a lot of thoughts on our podcast. And lastly, uh, Mr. Stephen Greslak, um, fortunately, gave us a, a correction on one of our episodes as well, uh, which is fantastic. So we we really appreciate you guys reaching out to us. It's it's been awesome at being in communication with you all, and we want to encourage more people to reach out to us as well about the episodes we love hearing we want to we always want to improve the episodes and improve the podcast and so if you have anything to say to us please let us know at prognotespodcast at gmail.com awesome well let's go ahead and move into it drew this is still there this is nuts i'm sorry i'm still doing some research on this record yeah and seeing some of like the fan theories on this is it's pretty nuts yeah, I'm sorry. There's a I, lot I, of stuff. I, there's a lot of stuff about this record, and and that's, it's definitely out of my comfort zone, for yeah. sure. <laughs> it's out of my comfort zone. But uh, let's give a little history behind this thing before we start diving into the music. So, uh, Ladder Alice was uh, was it was released May 15th of 2001. So this is this is a weird. Ju- I mean, this is a mi- big jump in the episode. We haven't done an album past 1976 so far on the on the episode. Um, so we are doing an, an entire three-decade jump here, um, and and this is we're doing this on purpose because we want to let everybody know that we're we're not just doing records from the '70s and the '60s and the pioneer stuff. Um, we want to let everybody know we're, we're we want to do records modern to old. We want to we want to do things that came out in the '60s to things that came out last year or or this year. So um, we want to 
let everybody know that we're, we're not just limiting ourselves to that area. So um, this is the third studio album from Tool. Uh, the album debuted number one on the Billboard 200 chart, selling more than 555,000 copies in the first week of the release. Uh, it was certified double platinum in 2003, uh, around August, and it was also certified platinum in Australia, double platinum in, Ca in Canada, and the band won the Grammy Award for the best metal performance for the song Schism, which is the song we're listening to right now in 2002. So this uh, this album created a splash. And uh, so, little history behind Tool, Drew. Um, the, uh, well, just, uh, I guess, history about about the band they're they're like i said an american prog rock or prog metal band formed in 1990 in los angeles california gonna get a whoop whoop drew uh, hey i'm i'm there right now yeah <laughs> shoot <laughs> uh so there are uh, four member four current members of tool uh the first one is maynard or maynard james keenan the vocalist uh, the guitarist adam jones drummer danny carey and bassist Justin T Justin Chancellor, excuse me. Um, the the band name uh, Tool, which is which is funny because every time I think of Tool, I think of like you're such a tool. You yeah, know what I mean, like yeah. it kind of comes off as like a negative connotation. But in 1994, in an interview with Danny Carey, he said the band name stands for how they want their music to be a tool to aid in understanding lacrimology. Um, and it was funny. Because I think they said that lacrimology is the art of crying as a type of therapy. However, looking up online, I think this was just a rumor to actually keep, I don't know. I think it was some sort of just entertainment. I don't think that part of it, part of the statement is true. They, they want their music to be a tool, but a tool to aid in helping others understand and a quote, alternate way of thinking, they say. I think the whole lacrimology thing is a rumor or a myth or not even or, or just completely false altogether. I'm not sure, but well, it, maybe. But they they've also admitted that okay, because one of, I'm just gonna come out and say it. One of their logos is like a wrench, like a tool, but in the shape of a penis. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a big it's dick. They're they're very they're very audacious with a lot of their statements. They're very dark. They're very. I don't know if I want to say that they do this just for shock value, but it kind of seems like that with how out there they are with some of their stuff. Right. Like stuff that lots and lots of people I would think would find very offensive. Yes. Um, so, but they've admitted and they're okay. I mean, obviously they're okay with well, that because yeah, they keep doing okay it and they're whatever. It. Yeah. And they, they want to do that. Um, but they've even admitted that it's supposed to be like that. Um, the, the vocalist Maynard James Keenan said, um, <clears throat> I think in an interview, he said, Tool is exactly what it sounds like. It's a big dick. It's a wrench. We are your tool. Use us as a catalyst in your process of finding out whatever it is you need to find out or whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting know. perspective on the way they want their music to be viewed. You know, most of the time you you when you hear music, you hear personality. You know, you you hear um and that's another thing that we were just actually speaking about when it comes to like their their music videos. They they have these very very bizarre music videos, but they don't they rarely ever appear in their videos. And and you were saying that you know part of that is because they don't want their identities as musicians to uh, cloud, cloud the music. Cloud the music. Yeah, they they really want 
it's interesting. They really want the band to be an entity outside of their own personality, which is very interesting to me. Uh, because which, you know, honestly, yeah. I agree with. I'm just gonna sure. Put that yeah, in there I'm sure. A lot, I mean, I, 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 there's a lot of people that do, obviously, because they're huge. Um, and and some and people have taken that approach too. Uh, which is so anti-pop. Is you know what I mean? It's like you know, it's like every pop album that you see, it's got it's got their face on the front of it. You know what I mean? Or, or like yeah. a picture of them. And and that's kind of... Well, right. Yeah. I think they wanted to detach themselves from something that, I mean, you know, had really been around ever since popular Western music has been, uh, you know, even before the Beatles, right? The Beatles really amped it up where yeah. it's, you know, a lot of the girls were like, what's your, who's your favorite Beatle, right? Is it Paul? Is it John? Is it George? Yep. Is it Ringo? Um, you know, they ramped it up. But even before that, right, the album covers for a lot of these, you know, Okay, let's let's take it back to the 40s. Let's take it back to Frank Sinatra, sure. right? His face was on the album cover. Absolutely. Right? Yep. And his music was associated with that face. And very artistically, Tool said, "No, that's not what we're about." Right? And of course, you know, other bands we've talked about on the show have done that too, right? Their album covers are not pictures of the band or yeah, anything like yeah. that. And that's and that's so, pretty but, per, that's pretty common in progressive rock to begin with. Exactly. But but this is but they take this to a totally new level. You right. know, um right. because it's I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Let me, I'll, we should just go ahead and say this as well. We're we're not avid Tool fans. Um, this is actually the first Tool album I've heard, um, and probably the first Tool album that you've heard, Drew. Right? Correct. Yeah. yeah this was, so this was new for both of us. Yes. Yeah, so so our perspective of what we're talking about here merely comes from the research that we've done on the band, as well as our perspective of the music after listening to it ten times or something, um, listening to the record. Um, and so we're, uh, but so I, so I don't, I don't have a, a close personal relationship with the music and when it, when it gets to that point for me, and, and maybe this is, this is uh, some way for most people who are people who are avid fans of tool, but you know, when I listen to, and, and this is just for me, it would be, if I listen to rush, you know, rush is rush with, and it cannot be rush without those three members. You know what I mean? Like right. it's it's not so I kind of view them as this entity, but like I always I see their personality throughout the music and everything, um, and and they have some pretty wacky personalities to begin with. But you know, for me having a, a really close personal relationship with the music of Rush, I can hear the personality. So I don't know if they are trying to strip that away in Tool, or if they're like me for the people who do have close relationships to Tool's music, where they can hear the personality in the music, which I'm sure you can, because that's, that's just, that's part of being artistic, but they purposely try to separate that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what, that's, it's, it's interesting to me, but my perspective of that obviously is different than most or different than others, uh, as, as obviously, of course, cause it's subjective really. But um, yeah, you you made a, an interesting point about that where they that that quote that from him is uh, it's it's interesting it's it's new, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they, they they they're artistic to the point. I mean, we just mentioned that a lot of people would consider it uh, offensive and lurid. Yeah. Um, that, but that, you know what, though? I mean, that's been going on ever since art was around, right? It's, yeah. It's, they want to push the boundaries. Yeah. And you can tell that's with them. And, you know, I don't agree with a lot of they, with what they say. I'm offended with a lot of what they show and what they portray. But that 
is what often happens when you're trying to make art anyways. So I respect them for trying to push the boundaries yeah, um, or for pushing the boundaries yeah. in, in that sense. I, again, I, I don't think it's stuff that and this now this goes into a conversation that we won't get into because it's a completely separate topic of, you know, art and what it is and right. You know, yeah. What yeah. You should do in the name of art. But uh, suffice it to say, um, tool push the boundaries and for that you can put them in the realm of art rock which i know we've talked about on this show yes. can very closely be related to progressive rock yeah if they're not the same um they're very closely tied together um i think right progressive rock and art rock oftentimes th- the line is blurred between them oh i i agree i mean i mean somebody could make the argument that you know uh you know like dark side of the moon or or is, is right. art rock? I mean, any anything that paints a, a visual right. or, or something like that could could be considered that way. Um, so right. yeah, they're they're definitely. But but this is also, you know, we we spoke about on our very first episode where Rush was kind of the invention of progressive metal um, and and bringing and bringing that kind of hard style um, because at the time when you know Genesis and Yes were around, it was it was it wasn't as it wasn't as hard as rush and, but this is a new type of metal and we'll talk about like, and you'll be able to, I mean, the tonality of everything we'll, we'll be able to hear that. But, um, let's talk about the, the way these, these guys met. Uh, I think it's actually pretty interesting the way these guys met. Um, uh, so, so Keenan or Maynard, Maynard James Keenan and Adam Jones, the guitar player, the vocalist and guitar player, they met through a mutual friend in 1989 uh, Danny Carey happened to live above Keenan and was introduced to Adam Jones by Tom Morello, which is the dude from Rage Against the Machine. Uh, which I think Adam Jones and and Tom Morello they they were playing together, and so Carey would often fill in for them on drums because no one was turning up to their auditions, which I thought was funny. <laughs> yeah, I saw that in a quote. And so a friend of Adam Jones introduced them to bassist Paul D'Amour. And they signed their first record deal with Zoo Entertainment in 1992, and so Paul, I think, got replaced by Justin Chancellor, who is the new current bassist. I don't know exactly why; I didn't look into that, but uh, that's how they all met. And then after two albums, uh, kind of get up to where we are now. After they did two albums, and they ran into a legal battle with the record label at the time, which was Volcano Records, over contract violations. So. Because of this, Tool took a, a break. Uh, Maynard went on to do other projects, which include uh, a Perfect Circle, a band called Perfect Circle and Pussifer. And then once they came to an agreement, they came back and released Lateralis in 2001. So that's where we're at in their career. Um, they've done two records. Uh, they had to kind of take a break, disband. Not, well, not really disband, but take a break, uh, deal with some legal issues, uh, do some other music or other musical outlets. And then we came back and then we produced this record in 2001. So what, well, and this record, I think it's important to note as well, just to add on to that. I think a lot of people consider this to be like the first step into the realm of progressive rock or art rock for this band. Yes. Beforehand, I think most would just consider them straight metal yes. or, some people label them post-metal. Um, and of course, I mean, labels are weird. It's like, you know, it's it's weird even on this show saying this is a prog rock band or is it an art rock band or they're just straight rock. You know, it's, it's labels are really difficult. But a lot of people considered them 
more standard metal, right? I, I mean, they were around the time where, you know, Metallica was breaking out and a lot of these other popular metal bands. Um, and this was, yeah, their first step into progressive, more artistic yeah. type of thinking. And um, I guess we'll talk about it more later. But at first, I, I didn't really get that. And then I researched it more and started listening to it more and more, and I can I can understand it more now. And I, I guess we'll 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 elaborate on that a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it, I mean, it's it's. I remember seeing a quote actually about the the, the title track "Lateralis," which we'll also talk about as well. But I saw that uh, the title track of 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 this of this album was quote I think by the bassist Justin Chancellor. He said, "You know, this was the turning point for Tool." That song was the turning point for Tool, and hmm. Lateralis is a the, the title track is a very very math rock art rock progressive song, um, and so but I think that was one of the biggest things that that made this a little bit more progressive is it's very very complex the the music's very complex. Um, one thing I I personally wish I could get more of was more variety in tone. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it, it, it gave it, it, it we got that sometimes in certain songs and those are my favorites honestly uh, on the record but when you when you get those similar distorted guitar tones which is very common throughout kind of that metal sound it just sort it kind of just blurs the music for me you know oh I 100% yeah, agree it kind of it, it the music kind of just blurs out and, and so there's certain parts of the album that don't really stand out to me. And so, well, and yeah, yeah. I just, I, I can't tell which songs are different sometimes. Yep. People are like, oh, this song. And I'm like, okay, that could easily be the grudge or the patience. Yes. Like, I don't know at all because it all sounds the same to me. Now, I, that, that's, a, that's a huge insult, I think. And I don't mean to say it that way, but it's just... It's just the way I feel yeah, about it. Same. But I know I've been really offended when my, my sister, <laughs> one of my sisters, I was really in a huge rush phase as we talked about. Yeah. She was like, doesn't some of this all sort of sound the same to you? And I was aghast. I was aghast. I was like, what? No, this is so, this is so diverse. There's so much variety in this. Like, how can you think about, like, how can you say that? Yeah. Um, so I get, you know, I think it's an insult to say that everything sounds the exact same. Um, but that's how I feel about this. So I guess that's maybe, maybe Tool won't be as insulted as I would. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I see exactly what you're saying. It's all a lot of distorted guitars, um, really loud and in your face. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, pretty, it, it's, it's intense, you know? Yeah. It's intense. Well, it, and, and there's some, I guess you could say, well, they have some dynamics because it'll be soft sometimes. I'm like, yeah, but it, you can like, but it's predictable soft. It's like, yeah, this is a part where we're just going to have a really low volume, slow-ish guitar riff or bass riff, and then it'll go zero to 60, and you can hear it come in. It's like, boom, crash hits, and now we went zero, to, like I just said, zero to 60. Now distorted guitars, full volume, loud drums, all that. Yeah. And it just... Like, like, yeah, okay, so it goes soft and then loud. That still, to me, is not necessarily good dynamics. Um, right. I don't know. I don't know how, how to phrase it other than that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's one of those things where I, I, I kind of, I don't know, 
um, I'm, I, I listen to it and there's certain, I don't know. It's just, it's t- like tonality and, and melody, especially in rock music means a great deal to me personally, you know, and, and the, the mm-hmm. feel, the feel of it. And, uh, and, and whether you have, you know, it, I mean, I, I will say this, I will say this, the drummer has fantastic feel for for all of these songs um like it's it's pretty amazing honestly danny carey's drumming has got to be some of the best metal drumming i've ever heard um i mean and i'm and i'm, I'm a drummer you know like it's it's his limb independence because i mean that's what i, I listen to this stuff. like his limb independence is incredible and the, the tones and he creates these the, the like the toms and the snare without the snares on it and he's hitting like these these rim rim hits and stuff like that, and it's it's very wide and melodic, and it keeps it very open, but somewhat this dark tone, and which I've never seen utilized as much as he does. So his like honestly, his drumming's the best part of this record, in my opinion. Um, I, I would agree, and that's something I noticed too. Um, and yeah, I'm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm bass, but that's still a very rhythmic yeah. instrument. So I guess that's why I kind of gravitate towards that as well. But I agree that the very first thing I noticed about this whole record was the drumming yeah. is, like you just said, the best part. Yeah, it's untouchable. Too, so it's untouchable. It's great. Yeah. It's fantastic drumming. And I'll tell you what what separates it from other metal that I've heard. Not that I've heard that much because I haven't liked what I've heard. <laughs> Typically, um, it's not typical metal drumming in the sense that there's an overabundance of kick drum. Yes. There's like, I feel like when I hear metal drumming, a lot of the times it's like the drummer is running while sitting right. down. You know what I'm saying? Like his yeah. feet are always like, it's as fast as I can. I'm going to go as fast as I can with this kick drum and then have a crap ton of crashes on top of that. And that's all it is to me. Yeah. He has a lot of creativity with his drumming and i love it he puts in a lot of thought to what he what he writes in his rhythms and the specific drum heads that he decides to use right okay i'm not going to use the snare here i'm going to use the toms and i'm not just gonna and not just drum heads but the 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 cymbals too right whether it be his ride or his crash it's it's in your face it fits their metal sound well but it's it's not all the same. He has a dynamic drum. I'll yes, put that. Very. A lot of it doesn't sound dynamic to me. I know we just said that. Um, well, we're talking like about we're talking about the, the melodies, the, the, the melodic sense of the record, exactly. like the rhythm side of the record. The you know with with the drums and everything, it's it's got a lot of. He's he does. I he's got a lot of uh, dynamics, a lot of uh, melodic texture, and he's just he's got great feel, and that's what makes it great. That's what makes his drumming right, great is right. that it's, it feels right. right. It doesn't feel because I mean, you, it could feel right, but also be annoying, you know? And that's where I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, I understand. Right. Like, yeah, of course it, it fits, but I'm just kind of annoyed by it, but this is perfect. Like it's, it's, it's intricate. It's complex. It's awesome. It sounds great. And it fits the music really, really well. And it's impressive. And for progressive rock and in drums and progressive rock, that's perfect. It, it It's, it's excellent. Well, where they kind of come into the fold of progressive rock is primarily with with stuff like we were just talking about, the virtuosity. All of these musicians are very talented. I I'll will put that out I there. will give it that. Like the the I yeah, I'll give Tool that. The members 
they're very unique. I, I don't think I don't think anybody could replicate this band. You, you know, the drummer's unique, the complexities, the, the sophistication, one of a kind vocalist in metal. I mean, I've never heard. I mean, his voice is not. It's not weird, but I've never I've never heard I, another voice like his. I disagree personally. I yeah. <laughs> I think he's a good vocalist, but personally I think you could replicate it. I don't know. I heard it and I was like instantly thinking like Nirvana, like Kurt Cobain. That's right. what I was thinking when I heard this because his voice sounded very grunge. And then, you know, it gets even more intense when he starts like he does some type of yelling in here, kind of drifting yeah, into screamo pretty, territory. A little impressive. Bit. Yeah, on some the of screams the, are yeah, impressive. And again, all that said, very impressive, but I think it can be replicated, at least that part of it. But yeah. again, it's impressive and it shows virtuosic talent, which is what you know we said right from the beginning. That's part of what progressive rock has to offer a lot of the time, right? Is that each of the musicians are very skilled on their respective instruments. And you you they showcase that with this record. But another thing uh that they show well, the way they showcase it was with odd time signatures and rhythms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that that's another staple of progressive rock is something that's not in 4-4 right. or even, you know, 6-8 or 3-4 or, or whatever. Yeah. You know, it, they, it gets, they go it gets all a little, It gets a little crazy around. with it. Yeah. They go all around on this record. Yeah. And um, which is which is why it's well. which is why it's awesome rhythmically, you know, and and but, you know, I just. It's just it's just the, the the melodic texture of it, like that 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 raunchy, rough, real distorted guitars. I they just get a little old. Like out, that's I totally it agree. Just, it so, just gets a little old. I mean, it's you can use different types of distortion, but it just it sounds like the same. Like it's it's kind of like I don't know. I I, I like variety in distortions, and uh, especially just what what fits more, but. You know the music's definitely calls that for that kind of sound, but I, I don't know. That's just that's just my personal taste, which is why I'm not a massive metal fan. To to be honest, I mean, I, I, there's elements of metal I appreciate, like I, I appreciate a texture of something like if you want to, you know, if I took if I took a a thirty second or a, or a three minute bit of of this album and place that in one song, I'd be like, oh, this is this is cool. You know, but it but it's got to go somewhere else afterwards, um, unless it just right. it, unless it just gets kind of old. You know, it just gets kind of old for me. But no, I one hundred percent agree. And this is this is this is a good episode to do because it reminds me of oh, this is a fun intro. Yeah, sorry, this song is fun. Um, they have a lot of energy. They do, uh, yeah. Which is, you know, obvious. I mean, metal kind of has that written. <laughs> in the title right um but this is this was a good record to review because it reminds me of um my time in college watching films that i hated but then discussing it afterwards <laughs> just learning to appreciate it more and that's what happened with this i first heard this and i was like oh my gosh how am i gonna get through another seven songs like by song three i was like Oh my gosh, this is not my cup of tea. I don't like this. Yeah. But, you know, they, they deserve their due diligence. We, we should at least listen to the whole record. Yeah. And I heard it and it wasn't great. Then I heard it again and I was like, okay, still don't like it. But that, it, like I said, it reminded me of times in film school when I would watch a film that I hated. But hearing the discussion of like what other people had to say and their point of view that I didn't 
you know, I would never have thought of. Right. It's interesting. And I can now see that because at first I heard this and I was like, this this is a stretch to call this progressive rock. Not okay, not a stretch, but the only thing that qualifies it is the odd time signatures and the long songs. Sure. There's they have hardly any keys, right? Which is a staple of it. There's hardly any classical influence on this. And lyrically, I can't find any type of like concept that would unify this to make it be considered a concept album. Yeah. This is not this is this is hard to say that this is like progressive rock or progressive metal. It could just be just metal. Exactly. You know, it could, it With could be, some, it could be metal. Or, or math rock or math metal or whatever. Yeah. But it's not progressive. It's not artistic. I think I think it'd be and safe, I have to say I, I was I think it'd be safe to say that we could say that it's virtuosic metal. Right. Or some exactly. Yeah. Or math exactly. That that kind of throws into that category yeah. as well. But I, I have to say I was wrong. I was wrong because when you start reading on some forums online of people who are Tool fans who really love to dissect their stuff, there's there's more to it than meets the eye. And so I'm glad we did this because this is probably not a record I will listen to frequently, like the other progressive rock stuff that I love. Right. I'll admit that. I'm not a huge, like if you ask me, do I like this album? Not particularly. But it does some, have some artistic value, and that's the point of this show too. And that's what I wanted to do with this episode and what we'll probably end up doing with future records that you know I haven't heard like just a quick really brief preview mm-hmm. we'll probably do some dream theater from what I've heard from dream theater I'm not a huge fan but I respect their talent and I'm sure there's actually a lot more that I haven't you know that, that I haven't <clears throat> thought that they would have to offer yeah um, artistically and I'm sure there's a lot and I'm excited to see that um, and that's part of the point of the show is not only for us to educate you but for us to also expand our horizons yep yeah, um, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad we're doing this. Anyways, all that said, um, should we should we now dive into the like specifics of the songs and artistically what they have to offer, or is there something else you wanted to talk about first? Uh, I mean, I'm 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 just kind of going with the flow here, but um, <laughs> I do I do have something that I wanted to talk about because when when I first heard this, let me let me ask let me let me go through this for a second because this was just the thought that I had about about this, and I'll just I'll just share what I have about this. Um, I, when I listened, when I first listened to this and I first saw their logo and I first saw like their music videos, which are like the stop motion, very dark animation stuff. The first re- the first thing I was thinking is why is this so, the word I was thinking of is satanic. You know, okay. I mean, it, it, it almost looked that way. I mean, in, in their Grammy award speech, like Danny Carey, like thanked Satan. And I was like. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, not sure how to not feel sure about how that. I feel All right. Like, yeah. Okay. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, a little weird, but so, but, but I was inter- I was interested, and so I started doing some digging, specifically about Maynard, and I found out that this dude came from a really tough childhood, man, and 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 I'll, which I personally see throughout the music outlet, throughout his musical outlet and and his lyrics. As I was looking up a lot yeah. about his his past, he was an only child. He was four. His parents got separated while living and while living with his mom. His father didn't see him, but probably once a year, you know. So while this created a separation emotionally with his parents, he also distanced himself from his because he he distanced himself from his Southern Baptist Christian background um, that that he was in as well. Which this is interesting because I, I read this. He says that he said in an interview in 2001, he said, I witnessed firsthand, this is a quote by Maynard, I witnessed firsthand the hypocrisy of this particular form of Christianity, but it was a gradual thing. As I got older, 
I began to see people claiming one set of beliefs and acting in ways which directly oppose these views, which is a, which in quote, right. which is a perfect testament to say that one, well, no one's perfect and we're all sinners and need a savior under, under the Christian viewpoint to begin with. But also two, this kind of statement seems to blame his family for the wrong that was done to him early in his childhood. And for me personally, I believe he developed a resentment towards religion and specifically Christianity. And, and on top of this happening, his mother suffered from a, a paralyzing cerebral aneurysm when he was 11, and which inspired mm-hmm. certain songs from his, from his career. But because of that happening, he decided to live with his father. So I, I, I think his musical outlet is, is really full of, unfortunately, full of a lot of pain, loss, sadness, anger. Um, and I think that's those emotions are the driving force of the band's sound and their personality. I, I agree. And, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, a lot of groups that we listen to have a very interesting <laughs> – it's a very blanket term to put. A, a sure. very complicated, uh, just kind of synonymous, relationship with religion in general. And, yep. of course, being in the States and a lot of the Western Hemisphere, also in England as well, Christianity, I think, is the main religion there as well. Yeah. It's a it's – a, I mean, you know, I think of stuff like Dave Matthews Band, right? Um, yeah. Dave Matthews has, and you can tell in his music, it's a very, I wouldn't even use the word tenuous because it's not like he doesn't distance himself because he he directly talks about how he thinks God is or whatever. And, you know, this isn't what the whole show is about, but it's just, it's just interesting, uh, you know, yeah. and, and, st- and stuff in art too. I mean, you know, and again, tying this back to the theme of the show, art rock, prog rock, a lot of that is religion, right? I mean, we talked about how Jethro yeah. Tull, right? Their Aqualung, a lot of people were like, oh, it's, you know, the unifying theme is religion. And he was like, no, it's not that. But it's interesting right. that you make that connection and you see this as artistic or a unifying concept of religion because you're focused on that. Um, but in, anyways, um, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a very, it's a very, uh, well, religion's a really loaded term, you know what I mean? So, but, but, <laughs> and especially, <laughs> especially when they, when they, when a lot of bands and stuff talk about it, uh, it, it, it comes at it from a, an interesting point of view, multiple different types of point or multiple different points of view. Um, and so it, it's, it's interesting, but, but as, as well as with, with with Maynard, I mean, in summary, though, because he he, you know, I looked it up. He is an atheist, and so, mm-hmm. but but to me personally, and I'll go ahead and make this statement because I believe it to be true. His his atheism to me is blaming God for things that happened to him, which is asking a very common question in Christianity. You know, quote, "Why does God allow evil?" Which I won't go into because this episode's about tool. But I think that specifically for him, that is a very very common, not a common thing, but. That that driving force of his past, I think, really created the sound and the somewhat grotesque part of Tool. That's that's my yeah. my personal opinion about that. But no, I think I think you're right. That's not to say though, I, I think you're right, and I agree with that. But that's not to say though that he is a nihilist either. He's angry, but I think i'm just looking at some of the some of the the theories and interpretations people have about this album which is also very dark um at least musically what he's not a nihilist because i think part of the the whole thing about this album ladder alice what is that and when you look at 
the title track and you know we'll go into this more with some of the math and the fibonacci sequence and all that stuff uh, i think a lot of this album is supposed to say here's how we're supposed to make the human condition better here's individually here's how to make yourself better here's a lot of the flaws that we have and i think a big part of the album is focusing on letting go of the ego letting go of pride mm-hmm. so uh, again he he has you know a lot of anger towards religion or whatever um and a lot of people and he he it seems like he's angry at something but that's yeah. not to say that everything sucks and that's all that there is and i just want to be angry and write about this no i'm go- here's i'm going to posit this piece of art to help improve the human condition. I think that's what he's trying to do. Now, he does yeah. it in a very audacious, well, that's, well, that's lurid way. That's what they say as further the, why the band's called Tool. Right, exactly. You know like, I mean? Yeah, we just mentioned that earlier. Yeah. yeah. So, when, I mean, it, it comes, it, it's it's full circle right there. You know, it's where, where it yeah. comes from his past and what what he writes about, what he's trying to write about, but then also the purpose of him writing and what their what their sound and their style truly is and how it relates to him and how they want it to relate to their audience which is you know it's we're, it's which is that whole subjective like use us as a tool um, right but it, it, yeah you're you're absolutely right when it it really just it comes full circle right there it's interesting yeah yeah um it's it's also just a, a fun fact this 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 is a very interesting band they they've got a lot I think a lot to say and some stuff that I necessarily don't like or whatever, but um, something that, that provokes a lot of thought. Um, But uh, just a fun fact relating to the realm of progressive rock, um, David Bottrill, which I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, worked on their second album. Um, He was the producer for King Crimson's Thrack, which I think was a nineties or early two thousands record. Oh, wow. I don't think Um, I've heard that one. They, I have not either, actually. They, um, King Crimson actually likes Tool, and Tool likes King Crimson, which is really interesting. I didn't, like, I, I never really think of them that much. But from what I have heard of King Crimson's later stuff, it is heavier. It is a lot heavier than their earlier or even 80s stuff. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, their biggest musical influence is King Crimson, though Robert Fripp does not promote this. Um, but... It's very interesting because when I read that, I was like, oh, maybe he wants to distance himself from them. No, King Crimson actually likes them. Robert Fripp actually likes them. He says, I happen to be a Tool fan. This is Robert Fripp of King Crimson. That's interesting. The members of Tool have been generous enough to suggest that Crimson has been an influence on them. Adam Jones asked me if I could detect it in their music, and I said I couldn't. I can detect more Tool influence in King Crimson than I can hear King Crimson in Tool, which I thought was very, very interesting. really interesting. I would never make a connection. That's like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's weird. That's like Nora Jones going on tour with Rush. Like that's just really <laughs> weird. Yeah, it seems. Uh, but they they actually were able to do a little ten show mini tour with King Crimson. Uh, wow. I think after this album, because this album I think was a big success for them. I mean, credit reached number one in the U.S. charts. So yep. Um, and it won the you know Schism won them a Grammy for best metal performance. So uh, got them a lot of attention with this record. Um. And, uh, yeah, they were able to play with King Crimson, which is really cool to be able to play with, you know, your, your musical idols. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Go on a short tour with them. Um, that's uh, crazy. I think another thing that, that, uh, should be noted is that they don't put lyrics on the CDs or in the media that they release because they don't want the lyrics similar to the idea of they don't want the personalities of themselves in a music video to distract from the music. They don't want lyrics 
to distract from the rest of the music, which I found very interesting. I it's think interesting they were coming from a vocalist. Exactly. Well, and it's very interesting or contradictory in a sense because they spend a lot of time on their lyrics. That's what they've said. They, yeah. and if you look them up, it's like, okay, yeah, I, a lot of them is are repetitive. They're like 10 minute songs and it's like, okay, you've got like three of the same verse, but all right. Um, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. but right. You know, just because they're not, you know, it, it's not different lyrics, um, or whatever, or not very prolific doesn't mean that they're not important. I think they spend a lot of time on their lyrics um, and the messages they try to convey, particularly with this album. But I guess they just didn't want people to be reading that while they were listening. They wanted them to hear it first. And I guess they really wanted to do a super, this is very, I guess, maybe high art thing, discover it for yourself type of deal. You know, it's like, look, don't read the lyrics, listen for them actively. Um, and I, I kind of get that in a sense, because a lot of the times lyrics mean a whole lot more when they're set to music, right? right. If I just read a set of lyrics, it's a poem. Yep. And uh, sometimes that just doesn't drive home the emotion of it as when it's set to a particular melody. Does that make any oh, sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It makes total sense. There are several songs that I hear um, – in, in a variety, you know, all across different genres, not just prog rock, ev- everywhere, where I'm like, you know what? That set of words would not mean nearly as much if it wasn't sung this way with this melody behind it played on keys or on guitar or on a dulcimer, whatever, you know, any instrument you can think of. If music was not set to it, this set of words would not mean nearly as much as it did. And maybe that's what they were going for with this, where they were saying, hey, don't read the lyrics, listen for them, see if they make a bigger impact set to the music you know what i'm saying yeah um that's interesting so that's almost like, that's um, almost like well it, i guess it's I'm, I'm agreeing with you and making just a, a a side note statement to that but it's it's saying you know you have a certain piece of writing without music it's a poem with music it's they're called lyrics right you know it's totally totally separate so i i, right, I, I totally exactly. agree with you that's interesting but let's let's take a short break real quick and then we'll, we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about the uh, the music of this album Okay, so this this song is the is the title track called Lateralis, which um, uh, created a lot of buzz, I believe, if, if not the most, besides Schism, because it won the the best metal performance. But uh, this is the song that we were talking about with that had the the Fibonacci sequence stuff going on. So, um, which is pretty awesome um, because it's it's really. You know, we have we have the the realm of progressive rock, right, Drew? You know, and and we got progressive rock, we got you know progressive metal, we got art rock, we got math rock, right? All of that, all of that kind of stuff, sort of falls underneath the subgenre. So it's almost like a double subgenre. You know, it's weird, but it's just elemental stuff. And um, this is this is true math rock. Um, and uh, the way that this song lines up is that the time signatures and the lyrics follow the Fibonacci sequence, which is, uh, uh, I guess, just an example of, it's just 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13. If you don't know what the Fibonacci sequence is, it's just the last two numbers equal the number that precedes it. 
Um, did that make sense, Drew? If yeah, somebody, I mean, if it's easier not for familiar, me. If somebody's not to, familiar with Fibonacci sequence, did that describe that well? Yeah, I well, guess. I, I, it's easier for me to just say the rule in terms of variables. It's x sub n equals x sub n minus one plus x sub n minus two. Okay. Basically meaning, all right, so if you've got the eighth integer, x sub eight, right, whatever that integer is, yep. equals x sub seven, right, n minus one, eight minus one, yep. plus eight, uh, x sub n minus two, right, which is six, eight minus two, six, so. Yeah x sub 7 plus x sub 6. So it is what you say. Yeah, the last two preceding added together is what the next number will be. Yes. Right? The, the, the sum of that is what the next number exactly. will be. Exactly. Yeah. So so this rule, I was I was wondering what the purpose of this was. Because, you know, I learned this back in algebra. I think it's something that most curriculum teaches yeah. in a lot of middle school and high school algebra. Um, but the significance of this is that it – it relates to a lot of things in nature and it relates to the golden ratio or the golden mean, which a lot of people will say is very is perfection, right? What is the golden ratio? What is the golden mean? Yeah. Fibonacci sequence somehow relates to it. And this is getting beyond my mathematical skills. It's been years since I studied this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, basically perfection. I think is what it's trying to go towards, right? A lot of art and architecture, if it has the golden ratio implemented in its mathematical, you know, construction on how we're going to build this this building or create this face, right? right. I think the Mona Lisa is supposed to have the golden ratio. And that's another reason why it's so perfect is Leonardo da Vinci was able to, you know, integrate you know, math, this per perfect math into this. And that's why her face is so pleasing or whatever. Um, I could be totally off, but, um, who knows y your, your guess is yeah. just as good as mine. I mean, I, I just, exactly. like, I don't know but much I about the whole Fibonacci sequence. I just know that it's very common in nature with like you know, pine cones and sunflower right. leaves and stuff like right. that. But yeah, it's other than that, it, it has no significance farther than that than, than what my right. current knowledge of it is. Right. But it, uh, all of that going towards, perfection or natural perfection yeah. or whatever. And I think that's why they did this. And this is where it gets progressive rock or art rocket. Very. They did this specifically. And I think if you read the lyrics, it pertains to the idea of being the best that you possibly can. What can humanity achieve? Yeah. Are we, that's what we're trying to do is we're going closer and closer to the Fibonacci sequence we're trying to get as close as we can to the golden ratio yep. to be a perfect human, to be as good as we can be. The pretty, you know, it's a pretty no, brilliant idea, honestly. It, it's a good idea. It's, it's a great idea. It's a fantastic idea. idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, 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 found I think out that, was, that was the point of this song. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think actually, I don't even know. Well, when I was looking at like the, because you, you have to ask like, how in the world did he even come up with that kind of idea? You know what I mean? Right. And, right. and what I think happened, what I think happened is during the writing process, the bassist brought in a riff and after workshopping it, basically, it evolved into these three measures, one being of nine, the next of eight, and the next of seven. Um, and so I think Danny was the one that actually connected that to the Fibonacci because 987 is the 16th number in the Fibonacci sequence. And so he started trying right. to work in elements of it. 
and which I think the original title of the song was going to be 987. Um, but then I think Maynard came in and started, you know, I guess just kind of fixing it, fixing it up or do whatever. But they also did the lyrics in with the uh, the number of syllables. Uh, yes, th- thank you. The syllables is what I was thinking of. But yeah, the syllables follow the Fibonacci sequence. Like very, the very intro is kind of like a very haiku like structure, but it's black then white are all I see in my infancy. So that's one, one, two, three, five, red and yellow, then came to be eight, reaching out to right. me, five, let me see, three. So it kind of goes up and down, which is a, it's brilliant. Yeah. It really is. Like the, the time signatures follow nine, eight, seven, and then the vocals follow that. And it's just, it's real. it's a cool idea. Like when you listen to it, the music, I mean, honestly, this is probably my, favorite second first or second favorite song on the record um because it's because it's just it's it's interesting it's cool it's fun to listen to and count it right and i would say that this is not necessarily a gimmick because it does relate to a higher artistic concept of you know improving the human condition and 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 the lyrics that are set in this song too so um I think it's more than just a gimmick, in my opinion. Um, yeah. So the, the, yeah, it was a great idea. Yeah, it's 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 cool. It's something that, that and it's honestly like with with the golden rate and everything. It's just it's something people have been studying for a long time. You know, right. and it, and it's like it's it's got into this idea behind like science and metaphysics and the you know communication and stuff like that. And it's oh, just, this it's, is also an awesome this, part. This actually, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. freaking cool. Yeah, that whole like bass slide thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. It it it's a it's a rocking song. Yeah, it's a rocking song. Uh, but yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting track. It's it's pretty cool. It's it's one of my favorites on here. And 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 even though it does have the typical elements that we've been speaking of earlier, in this particular setting with this idea and the way it's portrayed and how they did it, it's 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 cool. It's it's fun to listen to. Well, and then then you got a question: Where did the word lateralis come from? Why is this album named that? Why is this song named that? Does it have anything to do with the you know Fibonacci sequence or or numbers or anything like that? Um, yeah. And this is interesting. Just reading online some people's uh, thoughts on this, and one of them is uh, it's more about lateral lateralis lateral thinking right thinking yeah. outside more objectively and how the only way to really evolve as an artist or as a human i think is to start by the way i'm quoting right now from an online forum don't want to take gotcha. credit okay uh yeah this is by user fornic8 fornicate that's really clever um it's more wow. about lateral thinking and how the only way to really evolve as an artist or as a human is to start trying to think outside of the lines and push your boundaries which is you know what we're just talking about right now kind of take yourself where you haven't been and put yourself in different shoes blah 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 so again that's kind of the fibonacci sequence spiraling and and then you know the fibonacci sequence if you you know it is a spiral it is a spiral um yeah when you represent it mathematically on a on a grid a visual representation shows a, a spiral um and uh anyways uh so so i think that's kind of what it's trying to say too is this Fibonacci sequence is trying to be better, trying to get to 
this point where we're beyond our ego. And that's something another, you know, user had said was, um, I'm quoting again here. Danny okay. said in an interview here on this website that he focused a lot more on getting his ego out of the way or moving it aside, which would be laterally. A latter, a lateral us, which is, I didn't think about that, separate lateral and then the us, right? That means we are thinking differently, right? Might refer to all of the members or all of the listeners as well to do the same thing. Crucify the ego before it's far too late. That is why I think lateralis is so special. They merely reflect the light through themselves, eliminating four individual egos and allowing another presence to appear on the album. The super presence, the source of light. Um, oh, Lord. Yeah, uh, this is very interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I will say this in, in regards to that being a musician, I 100% agree to that when you're, when you're in the process of writing music with a band. You, you got to get the ego out of the way and yeah. do it for the band and not for yourself. If you're, if you're up, you know, if you're in a band, if you're performing with the band or writing with the band and you think it's all about you and you think it's all about what you're playing and what, and it, that, that is, it just doesn't work. And, and there's, I think it's, it's how a lot of bands fail um, is, you know, somebody, somebody gets their ego and uh, somebody gets their ego as a as a performer, as a musician, as a writer, whatever, and and they think that they should control the show, and uh, it gets in the way of four people or three or whatever. How many people are in the band communicating together to create something, you know, t- you know, together? And uh, so that 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 whole that idea or, or what he, what the quote from Danny, I agree I agree with that when it comes to like writing with the band. You know, and and uh, and being a musician in a band, writing with other people, you know, it's it's about it's about the music. It's about what we create with the music, not about my my own personal ego or what I play or whatever. So, but beyond that, is is little beyond my understanding of what the heck he's even talking about. But you know, that's that's my opinion. Yeah, there's another theory. <clears throat> uh, here we go. Greek name. Okay, yeah. This th- see these theories are just interesting. I feel like I should bring them up because it's it's do it. It's, I happened upon the muscle lateral rectus, which is defined directly as the ocular muscle whose contraction turns the eyeball outward. This made sense to me as Maynard is all about lateral thinking, and I will um, blah blah blah. I'll leave that discovery up to you. Um, even more compelling. This is a different theory. I think the Greek name of this muscle is rectus lateralis. This evidence, coupled with the proliferation of eyeball art, uh, makes it almost obvious once you put it into perspective. Um, I just thought that was that was interesting. Uh, that is interesting. Well, it, make, it makes cool. sense. It makes sense for wait, who's who's was that a quote from like a forum or was that a quote from a band member? A fo- from a forum. Okay, from I was a about forum. to say that. I mean that 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 just makes sense in terms for for Maynard's perspective because. According to him, he has no vertical dimension to his life. It's mm-hmm. it's got to be lateral. <laughs> it's like, if it, if it's not vertical, if he doesn't have any vertical dimension to his life, it's got to be lateral. And so, but he is he is taking that, you know that that idea of I don't even know lateralism, whatever, um, and 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 using that for his music. So it's interesting. Yeah, and that's just with this song. I'll I'll read. Um... 
I'll, I'll discuss something that some guys kind of had a, a big theory about the album in general, kind of going track by track in a, in a way. Um, okay. Which I thought was really interesting. Um, kind of connects the whole thing. This guy says he sees it as a sort of therapy session. And quoting here again from another forum, uh, starting with the grudge, which challenges us to remove our negative feelings towards others. The patient is like a reminder that the road to perfection is long and difficult and that we have to keep going on. Schism has a lot of different meanings for me. It could mean that we have to realize that the gaps we create between each other are harmful. Also, in, and this is his personal view, in my own view, it reminds me that all religions come from the same source. Uh, Parables Which one is that? slash Which one is that? schism is what this oh, really? person was okay. saying. Yeah, uh, parable or parabola, because those are two different tracks. Um, right, is a meditation on the present and how we need to be aware of it. Ticks and leeches is like a brief moment of relapse and anger. I think it really interrupts the flow of the album, considering it's a much older song, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Lateralis tra- challenges us to think beyond any boundaries we think we have to expand our soul towards the eternal quest for unity and perfection. And then the rest, which I think is kind of what we're listening to now, uh, disposition and reflection, uh, the rest is a final meditation on how liberating it is when we let go of the ego, which links nicely back to the grudge. You know what's really interesting about that? Mm-hmm. Like, w- like for that perspective, it's really interesting. You know, he, he's saying that we should do this, we should do this, we should do this, we're, we're encouraging this, we're encouraging this. My, my, my biggest question to that is why? You know, but but it's interesting because when you say you should do something, you're in, you're implementing a moral good there. Like we're supposed right. to be doing this because it's good. But if there's no such thing as objective good, because there's no vertical dimension to the life, what he's it seems like it's really weird because to me he seems like he's stealing moral terms from religion to bring this lateral way of thinking. Well, okay. Well, in fairness to him, I don't think that morality stems purely from religion. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like I mean, let's think about it. There's a lot of atheists who are great people. Absolutely. You know what I'm yeah, it's not. Yeah, Mor- morality uh, is not. Morality yeah. is not necessarily inherent to religion. Like, that's not tied together. Morality can exist outside of a religious. Context. Absolutely. Yeah, but it's moral law. It's it's right. Where does right. moral law come from? And yeah, and it's it's interesting because he's he's saying that like. We should do this. We should do this, and obviously, you know, it's it's got to be it's got to be objective, which is, you know, it got to be it's got to be an objective moral law there, um, and so that's that's just interesting. It's it's kind of like yeah. it's stealing almost from <laughs> the vertical dimension to create mm-hmm. this lateral dimension or ladder Alice or whatever. Um, that's an interesting perspective. Um, I right. wonder what I really would be interested to hear what the band have to say about that. Right. Well, and this is what I think the fact that we're even having this conversation and implementing this many philosophical, moral, religious types of terms and, and topics into this conversation. Yeah. That alone allows it to be considered progressive rock or art rock at the yep. very least. If you can, it's, if we can have an episode on your album and we can talk about it for at least an hour, it's progressive rock. Holy crap. <laughs> That's so. Yeah, that's, I hate you, Dustin. I, I know, hate you. That's pretty bad. <laughs> if we can sit here and talk about your album for an hour or more, your album's progressive rock. Enter the oh. sweepstakes now. <laughs> no, uh, in uh, another fun fact, this was ranked number thirty-two on Rolling Stone's fifty greatest prog rock albums of all time. Wow. 
So Team Rock, Dang. another another um, online publication, Team Rock, uh, placed the album at number 33 of their top 100 prog albums of all time. Wow. So pretty interesting. That is um, interesting. You want to know another fun fact? I mean, sure. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So, so Lateralis, this, this album is 78 minutes and 51 seconds long. Making it, check this out, this is, this is hilarious, making this album by default because most discs max out at 80 minutes. Right. One of the longest CDs ever recorded. <laughs> you know, That's I was fun. Yeah, yeah, I was looking at it, it was like 78 minutes. That's a long album, dude. It's a long album. 79 minutes. That's a long album. That's that's a lot of music. Right. Which kind of ties back to our thing of like long songs are pretty common in progressive rock and yeah. this is yeah. definitely proof of that. Um yeah. So it's interesting that this guy talks about how the rest is a meditation on how liberating, like, you know, disposition, reflection, these kind of softer songs on the album. Yeah, I really enjoy I, those. I do, too. I think they're great. Um, yeah. Disposition and, and reflection are we're really gonna fun end songs. The, we're going to end the episode they, with disposition as well, so it will, everybody will get to hear that one at the end. Well, they're good. I'm glad it's called Reflection, and they're very meditative. They're meditative and almost hypnotic, which is interesting because they introduce all these concepts before these, you know, these last few tracks. I mean, Triad kind of brings you back into that. It's very kind of hard rock, right. uh, metally too. But disposition, disposition and reflection are a nice break from the rest of the album. And they, like I said, hypnotic is the best way I know how to describe it. That's the the feeling I got when I started hearing this because it's very repetitive. It's yes. very repetitive rhythms and riffs. But they build it a little bit more, and it almost... I'm surprised that this wasn't called Mantra, right? There's another track on there called Mantra, yeah. but I'm surprised this wasn't because... This is just a little I interlude. Of, I think of chanting, and I think of, you know, mantras that people chant in, you know, different types of Eastern philosophies and religions. Yeah. And um, so I'm surprised they didn't name it that, because that's kind of what I got. I was like, this is hypnotic. This is kind of... I could, like, chant to this in a way. I mean, you know, towards the end, it even kind of seems like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, but yet the very last track is probably the most unique on the album. I I would absolutely agree with you, and I have it here because we're going to listen to it because I am it, it, the the story behind uh, it. You need to active listen to it too because there's too much going on. You do, yeah. Like there's so much going it's, on. It's unique. It's it's very unique. But I mean, we'll 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 play it here. Um, let me let me crank it up a little bit and let's play it a little bit. discretion is advised am i right well then i mean we didn't you turn it down before yeah. then someone starts speaking yeah right a hysterical man uh starts talking about how he thinks he's seen aliens and you know thinks that the end of the world is coming and it's it's bizarre it's disturbing it really is. like it, it, it is. makes you feel it gives you a sense of extreme discomfort yes and so so okay the name of the track 
Destin, you want to take a whack I'll, at it? You I'll, researched it yeah, more the um, pronunciation than I did. Yeah, so it's it's an Enochian it's Enochian language, which was invented in the 16th century. But the song is called Faip de Oyad, Faip de Oyad, which means voice of God in the Enochian language. Yeah. Also, it's 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 a language that, like you said, was in the 16th century. Yep. But it's an quote unquote angelic language. Gotcha. That okay. Uh, yeah. All right. John D. and Edward Kelly came up with. Yeah. Um, they claim they learned it from Enochian angels. Now, you're asking, what, what does Enochian mean? I have no idea. Yep. Me neither. I do not know. I actually tried looking that up. Oh, and did I you couldn't really? Find a re- I did, and I couldn't find a really good answer to that. I, I don't know what separates an Enochian angel from another angel. I, you know, I don't, <laughs> You know that 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 descriptor. I don't know what that means. Um, yeah, but uh, well, the, let me crank this, this back up voice. again. Hold on, yeah. l- listen to this. I'm I'm not gonna play a lot because it is it is disturbing. It is disturbing and it's very it it, it brings a lot of discomfort. But yeah. but it's also real. It's also real. Um, it. it it's the best way to describe it is disturbing. Yeah. And then it's done. Then it cuts it out. Cuts like right this broadcast out. communication. Well, it does it does a very good job of putting you in this place of like, holy crap, like the world is ending. There's chaos. A yep. lot of chaos. Yeah. There's there's this there's on. a bunch of like static and it and it's interesting because it's like two different types of static coming through both speakers. Yeah. If you're listening yeah. to it, headphones or or, or 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 speakers or whatever. Um, so it's like two different like pitches and they go up and down back and forth. So it's almost like this very disorienting static sound with on top of this in the background, almost like you're like in an auditorium about 50 feet away from Danny Carey. He's just playing, playing drums, doing fills and playing a bunch of just yeah. crazy. It's almost like he's in a yeah. rudimentary practice session or something. And on top of that, we have this, this dude talking almost like through a telephone and oh, yeah. uh, and and the story of this is it's from the Art Bell Show, which is which was a Nevada-based radio show that uh, they they discussed conspiracy theories and the paranormal on 9/11/1997, September 11th, 1997, during an Area 51 themed call-in program. This hysterical man claiming to be a former Area 51 worker called in to warn Bell's listening audience that he knew a series of impending disasters. This is the source of the monologue on this track. So before the man was finished speaking, the Art Bell show mysteriously left the airwaves for about 30 minutes. Several weeks later, the man called back apologizing for the apparent hoax, but the mysterious and somewhat coincidental happening has never been adequately explained. Um, so who knows what the heck happened here? Um, it, it is, do I think it's a coincidence about the date? Yes. But, um, I, it's, who knows, who knows what this is, but it, it was, it's a very, very weird phone call and it actually happened, which was the thing that really kind of gave me the chills about it was when I found out that it was real, when I found out that the actual, the phone call was real and everything else that was going on was just just adding to that dis- discomfort and and horror almost it's very weird very weird right well he says that the man called back apologizing for the hoax but like you said because I, I read the same article you yep. did and it says apparent yep the apparent hoax which implies a little bit of doubt 
being, okay, did this guy, was he kind of forced to say that this was a joke? Was he in some sort of trouble? And, you know, was, was supposed to say to not, to not scare viewers say that this was, or, or listeners that this, this was a joke. You don't need to worry about, or, you know, did it actually happen? Right. You know, did, did he actually think that he was seeing aliens and, and all this stuff? Right. And Who knows? I, any, no, it's weird. It's disturbing. It's, and think the best word you are to use, Destin, was disoriented. Yes. It's just like, where am where, I? What, what is going the, on? Yeah. There's no sense of secure, there's security. There's no rhythm. There's no, it's just, it's just him hitting the drums. Like there's no rhythm. Yeah. There's no exactly. melody. All sense of security and stasis is stripped yeah. away. In, in, in a musical and, and, context. Absolutely. And when you're listening to this, that's that's how I feel. I was like, okay, this is weird. You know, especially don't listen to this like at night where you don't know where you yeah, are. Don't. Yeah, that, which yeah. I mean, I did that. Well, I, okay. I mean, I knew where I was, but when I was when I first yeah, dude, when I first heard it, I was in my in my studio here where where I'm at where I am right now. I got no windows in this room and it's black walls. Yeah. Um yeah, it was it was weird. Yeah. I, I was and I was listening to this. I was like, "What the flip is this? Am, am I? Is this a part of the record?" And uh, yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was really, really weird. But well, yeah. you gotta, you gotta wonder how this fits into the rest of the album. Yeah, and that's something that honestly, you know, through a lot of the, because you know, I haven't researched everything. Everyone's theorized about the the meaning of this album or, or anything, right? But of the ones I have uh, read, none of them really mentioned the last track that much it's kind of the outlier yeah well i'm wondering okay is it trying to say because a lot of this you know the rest of the album centers on this theme of striving towards perfection and improving yourself you know trying to set the ego aside Uh right to let the light through and reflecting on yourself and thinking laterally and all of that and then it talks about aliens coming down is it trying to say that that concept is out of this world is it unachievable? Do we have to reach a different world? Or I don't know if you want to relate it to the concept of nirvana, right? Getting outside of your body, reaching this type of, you know, this, this state of mind that is elevated from, you know, this world, this plane of existence. That's I don't know. And it's also placed as the last track as well. So that, that, you know, it's, 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 yeah. Um, the placement of that could, could definitely support that theory for sure. Yeah, and the fact that it's what it means in the Enochian language is right. the voice yep. of God, right? Again, kind of this something, you know, whether you're thinking out of the, the you know, Christian view of a Judaic, you know, Christianic or, or mm-hmm. Christian-like God, um, or just, you know, a supernatural presence, whether that, that be yeah. that or not. Um, you know, something supernatural, again, kind of relating to this, is it on a different plane of existence? But again, this guy is scared of that. And that's another thing I think is interesting to think about is, Okay, suppose we can achieve this. Do we want to? Does that scare us to be more than what we are right now? Is that a frightening concept to be perfect to or, or to understand fully what perfection is? The voice of God telling you this is what it is to you know, uh, you know, to think laterally in all of this, to reach getting closer and closer to the golden ratio of being a perfect human of of, of all of that. Does that scare us? Hmm. I don't know. Anyways, these are just things that to think about, and uh, and that's yeah, that's a good that's, that's a good again, way to end it. Props to them f- to provoking this kind of conversation, right? And and this is 
this is art rock. This is progressive rock. At first I was like, this doesn't really qualify. It's just complex time signatures and that's it. But no, the more you read about it and the more you think about it, this has a lot to say artistically and a lot of conversations to bring up that promote a higher level of thinking or, you know, so that really challenge you to think. Um, so props to them again, as I said before, I'm not going to listen to this album very yeah. frequently. Yeah. I did yeah, not like it that much. But but it deserved to be um to be said on this show that it that is progressive rock for sure. Yeah. In, in my I agree. Opinion. I agree. And I th- I think that's a great way to end the episode today with is is with that statement for sure. So um any do you have any last thoughts about the record or anything before we head out? No, I think I think we we did a, a good bit of this. We didn't go into track by track that much about each of the songs. Sure. Uh, but yeah. if you're curious about it, I encourage you to to go online and uh, or, or, you know, research. Email us. Uh, yeah, email us. Have a conversation with email us. Email us. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, we, we both like to thank you guys for everybody for listening to our podcast. These are our prog notes for Ladder Alice. If you enjoyed the episode or learn something new from the episode, please subscribe and share. We also appreciate all feedback and or comments. So obviously you can email us with those thoughts. So um, if there's, if there's two words I can use to describe this album, I would, and this would be my final statement. This is, this album is a monolithic puzzle box. That's, that's, those are my two words to describe this record. Um, But Drew, what are we doing on our next episode? Next one is going to be a bit outside of my wheelhouse, though you know this band inside yeah. and out. Uh, we're going to be covering a Porcupine Tree record called In Absentia, right? Isn't that the one we're yes, doing? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So we're, Destin, we're still we're still staying staying in the same realm uh, because this this uh, In Absentia was released in two thousand and two, um, and obviously this record uh, was uh, was released in two thousand one. So uh, we're, we're still kind of staying in the same area, same realm for, for just a little bit. And then we'll, we'll go off and, and hit another record. But yeah, this is a little bit more my wheelhouse, uh, Porcupine Tree is. And, but, but Drew will be stepping a little bit outside of, um, outside what, of what, you, what you know about them. Yeah. So yeah. But anyway, I, I kind of cut you off right there. But what were you going to say? No, I think that was basically it was just that, that you, you know them very well. I remember, you know, when we were... Like at the beginning of our friendship, even like you were all about you know Porcupine Tree, and you knew a lot about them, and I just never really got into them. So this will be interesting for me. I've heard yeah. a little bit, but I'll, I'll need to, to hear it a couple more times and to think more critically about what I want to say about them. So yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, hey guys, join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of prog rock. See you guys next time. Thank you so much. 